My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to the Zoom Sunday service at the river. We are studying a new sermon series today called Invisible Beliefs That Shape Life and Country. And we kick it off today with a question that's been on many people's minds for a while now. That is, why do conservative Christians support Trump? Have you wondered why? It's such an unlikely alliance, isn't it? Trump is antithetical to everything conservative Christians confess to believe. Many attempts have been made to explain this mystery. For example, two Sundays ago, New York Times ran a big article titled, Why do Christians support Trump? Its answer was simple. One word, power. Trump makes Christians feel protected, gives them power to preserve and advance their way of life. Granted, that's a powerful incentive. But what are the values they want to advance? Because does Trump really advance family values, sexual purity, integrity, honesty, love your neighbor? Isn't Trump the opposite? He represents naked pursuit of all things sinful, selfish greed, deceit, pride, lust, whatever works with no restraint, no morals, it seems. It's like a box of chocolate representing every deadly sin there is. So then, is it about legislation? Abortion is the one big issue that comes up again and again in conversations with my conservative Christian friends. It's the one issue that trumps all the other. They say Christians are pro-life, and because it's an issue of life and death, they can overlook all the other issues. They can overlook Trump's personal qualities, who he is, what he does. They can overlook them because it's life and death. But are the Republicans and Trump really pro-life? If so, why are they so against universal health care, which is available in every other developed nation there is? Universal health care would save tens of millions of lives cut short every year. In contrast, abortion represents about half a million lives per year. Many have noticed and commented on these puzzling contradictions. Evangelical Christians in large numbers spend money and time and even risk their lives to help the poor people overseas, go on missions, build houses in places like rural Mexico. But they will not let them come in to the United States to the point of supporting cruel practices like separating children from families. That's not all. Conservative Christians are very concerned about teen pregnancy, but opposed to sex education or handing out contraceptives. So what is driving all this? Is it the Bible? 
and its instructions. So what does the Bible say about abortion? There's only one passage in all of the Bible that directly mentions death of unborn children. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. If people are fighting with each other and happen to hurt a pregnant woman so badly that her unborn child dies, then even if no other harm follows, he must be fined. Because of this passage, historically, most Bible scholars, Orthodox, Jewish, rabbinic traditions have regarded unborn children as not fully human beings in the eyes of the Bible. Because the Bible is very consistent in that if you kill a human being, no amount of money can compensate for murder. It's life for life in every case, not penalties like a fine. Now, it's understandable to fight for lives of unborn children. But it's not the Bible driving this passion. And what does the Bible say about immigrants? In many passages, the Bible instructs God's people to welcome immigrants and strangers, reminding Israel that they were immigrants and slaves once, reminding us that we are strangers and exiles on earth ourselves. So what is driving all these seeming contradictions that makes perfect sense to conservative Christians but puzzling to so many others? I've thought long and hard about this question and I've come to the conclusion that there is an invisible belief in freedom and responsibility underneath it all that's driving so-called Christian convictions today in America. There is this American myth of freedom. This is the land of opportunity. We are free people making choices and reaping the reward or suffering the consequences of failure. You've heard phrases like God helps those who help themselves. Pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. You will rise and fall according to your effort and gifts. It's your choice and your responsibility. This is what makes us free people. And when this American narrative gets married to an understanding of the gospel that emphasizes taking responsibility for our sins, that emphasizes the justice and righteousness of God, it becomes a potent brew. You see, the gospel, as traditionally understood, requires, first of all, before all else, our acknowledgement that we are sinners deserving of hell. This is why evangelicals ask, if you die today, would you go to heaven or hell? Unless you feel convicted in your heart, that I don't deserve heaven, I deserve hell because of all the wrongdoing, all the sins I committed. If you feel that way, if you get convicted that way, then the gospel becomes good news 
Otherwise, the gospel has no relevance because you don't need it. Until you feel convicted in your heart of your sinfulness, deserving of hell, the cross is not good news. But if you do, then Jesus becomes your Savior who takes the punishment that you deserve. So the cross acts like a reset button to wipe away all your sins, wipe your slate clean, so that you can strive to live a righteous and obedient life before God now and be blessed by God for your righteous life. That's the gospel as understood by many today. And the invisible belief driving it is the conviction that we all need to take responsibility for our actions, especially our wrongdoing. Now when you understand this, about conservative Christians and the approach to the gospel that underlies uh, their convictions, then all the seeming contradictions start to make sense. For example, abortion is viewed as you made a choice to have sex and now the consequence is your pregnancy. Take responsibility for it. If you made the choice to bring a life into this world, you must take responsibility for it. Abortion strikes conservative Christians as one of the greatest examples of shirking the responsibility. That's why there's almost zero interest in making life easier for single moms with welfare programs. There's a well-known joke that for Republicans, life stops mattering at the point of birth. I think you may be familiar with that. It's because of this invisible belief that's really driving this passion. It's not necessarily pro-life, it's pro-responsibility. So contraceptives, for example, that's consequence-free sex. Again, it's shirking the responsibility Healthcare. Well, get a job that gives you good health care. It's your responsibility. Immigration. We Christians will help you in your homeland, but it's cheating to leave your home country to come to our country illegally. It's not taking responsibility for your life and your home country. Welfare. That's not taking responsibility for your life. You see, it all lines up. Invisible beliefs and freedom, consequences, responsibility, righteousness shapes so much of life and country in America. But this is not Christian. Let me say it again. This is not Christian faith. It is rather a unique American belief married to Christian doctrines, certain Christian doctrines. The Bible never says God helps those who help themselves. It's the opposite. The Bible says God helps those who are helpless. And the cross is the biggest cosmic welfare program there is. Don't you agree? 
This American conservative Christian approach to life is best described by the older son in the parable of the prodigal son in Gospel of Luke chapter 15 in the Bible. He argues that God is unjust. He says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted, fattened calf for him. His argument is, I have been responsible. I have not been rewarded. I have done everything you have asked of me. I have never disobeyed you. I have taken responsibility for my life. But where is my reward? On the other hand, this son of yours has been so irresponsible. He is a criminal jerk, really. Yet he is rewarded. This is injustice. He accuses God of being unjust and unrighteous. I think many of us can relate to this argument and feel like he may have a point. But you see, the invisible belief driving his argument is freedom of choice and taking responsibility for consequences. These are good beliefs, but to God, they are not more important than unconditional agape love for this son of mine. All human beings made in the image of God, you and me, the first and foremost primal passion driving God's heart is unconditional love. So, the question posed by this parable is, will agape love or responsibility and consequences be the prime invisible belief shaping and driving us, the people with faith, people who profess to follow the God of Jesus? And so much of our life and culture is shaped by such invisible beliefs. So in the coming weeks, I will be talking about major invisible beliefs in our culture today. Beliefs like success, or caste systems, or belief in wisdom, contrasting them with true Christian belief that places the primary faith in the agape, love of God, in the cross. So for today, let me just say that Jesus meant to describe the older son as the Pharisees of his day. At the time, the Pharisees represented the majority popular conservative church. The older son, like the Pharisees, obeyed God, worked for God, devoted his life for God, stood for righteousness and service and faith. It's 
the church as most people understand it. But the surprising lesson from this parable, the surprising lesson Jesus wants us to understand is that the older son is the enemy of the gospel. He represents the position of Antichrist. What makes us true Christian is that we make the faith and the belief in the unconditional, divine, agape love of God first and most fundamental belief that drives every other beliefs and actions and behavior of our lives. It confers infinite dignity and worth to each and every one of us regardless of race, gender, class, achievements, even righteous or not. That's the picture of the father in the parable of the prodigal son. And that's the message of the cross. Sadly, the American narrative has corrupted the gospel of grace and love today in our country. So our mission, the true Christian mission, is to be known for our unconditional love, agape love, extended towards all people, no matter what, just as Jesus told us that we will be known for agape love. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in freedom and responsibility. Those are good values. But confine freedom and responsibility and consequences to practical consequences. Not your worth, not your standing before God. The father in the prodigal son's story lets the younger son suffer the practical consequences of his actions. He starves. He rolls around with pigs. It's very painful. But the son never loses his standing and worth as a child of God. He is called the lost son, not you are no longer worthy to be my son. Who we are, our value, our worth, our dignity as the beloved of God can never change. That is the message of the cross. If this really becomes the invisible belief driving your life, there are so many practical benefits. You will experience slice of heaven on earth. You will have the power to persevere when you experience failures and tragedies that can cripple others. You will be freed from the tyranny of having to prove yourself over and over again. You will become more generous towards others and towards yourself. You will become less judgmental and hypocritical. Failing will not make you a failure. You won't just ask who did wrong, who's to blame, who you will ask what's the best action for best outcome now and be able to choose wisely. The divine, powerful, unconditional, agape love of God will transform your inner being so much that you will become free to enjoy life, enjoy people, enjoy yourself better. You will become the light and salt of the earth everywhere you go. 
because you will help people feel better about themselves, treat themselves better, love themselves better, including yourself. This is the work of the cross. The cross does not say, do the right thing, take responsibility for your life, slave for God, never disobey. No, that's not what the cross says. Rather, the cross says, you are the beloved. You are accepted. God is with you. God walks with you. So have hope, have faith, get up again and again, for you live by the resurrection power. You will never be defeated ultimately, for you will rise again in the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. I so wish and pray for you all that you will live in the freedom of the cross. Enter into the life in all its fullness promised by the kingdom of God. The freedom that comes from the agape love of God. May you experience and grasp the depth, the height, the width and the length of the love of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I would love to discuss further all the implications and practical suggestions of switching from invisible belief in American narrative versus truly believing in the gospel. So please stay for the Zoom service at 11.40 a.m. Thanks everyone. Have a great day. Thank you.